are going to do our scripture reading now. And if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn to Philippians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 12. And last week we started a series together called House Arrest. Um, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians for the next couple of weeks uh, because it's a letter that Paul wrote when he was under house arrest in Rome. And uh, because many of us feel right now like we're under house arrest, um, I just thought uh, this would be a good epistle for us to look at um, to just sort of see how the Apostle Paul dealt with, uh, with, with similar circumstances and what wisdom uh, he might have for us who feel like we're under house arrest during these times. So, uh, Philippians, the first chapter, verses 12 through 30. Hear now the word of our Lord. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going to go through the same struggle you saw I had, 
in here that I still have. This is the Word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. It's Friday afternoon, several years ago. Everyone's suitcases are packed and loaded in the trunk, and we're getting ready to go to the school and check the kids out early so we can take a weekend trip to Washington, D.C. But before Crystal and I get in the car, we stop and we say a prayer together. It's a prayer of protection. We pray that God would keep our family safe from harm. Now, we've made this trip to Washington, D.C. for the weekend countless times. But this Friday was different. This Friday, we were terrified, scared for our lives. It was just a day before we found out that Crystal had had a contract taken out on her. That an abuser had hired a hitman to kill her. See, at the time, Crystal was a court advocate, and she was one of the most visible people um, seen with the victim uh, during a trial. She was the one that was always standing by their side and uh, in, in, in speaking up for them. Now, Crystal had received death threats before, and um, really, usually just she let them roll off her back. She's pretty tough that way. Uh, she usually understood that these death threats were nothing more than words meant to intimidate her. This was different. See, the uh, police had recorded the abuser calling a friend from prison. And in the phone call, the man said to one of his friends, that woman, only he didn't say woman, that woman who's helping her, she's not going to make it to court. I've taken a contract out on her. Imagine that's you. Imagine you just got the news that someone's actively trying to kill your wife. Imagine it slowly dawns on you that that means you're in the crosshairs too. And your kids. What would you do? We did the only thing we knew to do. We, we decided to get the heck out of Dodge for the weekend. And I'm telling you, that drive from Radford to Washington, D.C. was one of the most nerve-wracking drives I took in my entire life. Um, you know, every car behind us, you know, I, I was just, uh, just, you know, asking myself, is, is, is this person following me or are they just going the same place that I'm going? The next day when we were walking around the Smithsonian, you know, every, uh, every person I saw in a hoodie, who's this character? What's he up to? Every little thing, like the, 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 the trip from the, uh, from, from the hotel room to the parking garage. 
had to wonder what's waiting for us when we get there. We go to pump our brakes later and discover that they've been cut. So several times that weekend, um, when the kids were occupied, Chris and I would, would have these conversations. You know, the is it worth it conversations. You know, is it worth doing this job uh, uh, helping victims of domestic violence if, if it's just if it's just going to put you in the crosshairs, if, it, if it's just going to make all of us unsafe? Is it worth it? Should you, should you look for something else? What about court on Wednesday? Should you go knowing that he's going to be there, that he's a violent man? I remember driving home from D.C., all of this uncertainty swirling around in my head. I remember just feeling like the bottom had fallen out of my life. Just wondering, what are we going to do? What is going to happen now? Have you ever been there? I pray you've never had a, a hit taken out on you, but if you're related to someone in law enforcement, you may have gone through this exact thing before. But, but I'm talking about, about feeling like the bottom has fallen out of your life and, and, and not and, and facing this uncertainty and not knowing what you're going to do next. What are we going to do. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're waiting for that phone call. You know, the one you, you've been keeping yourself busy all week, um, uh, trying not to think about this phone call that, that's going to tell you the test result. And you finally get the phone call, and it's not the result you want to hear. Suddenly the bottom falls out of your life. Suddenly you've got all of these questions about, about what this is going to mean for the next several years of your life. Whether you're going to have the next several years of your life. You just think to yourself, what am I going to do? Maybe you find yourself out of work. You lost your job. I mean, unexpectedly one day, it, not like you were slacking off or anything, but, 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 but just like a thunderclap out of the blue, the boss calls you into his office, gives it to you straight. I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. You think about your wife and your kids at home. How are you going to tell them you think, what am I going to do? Maybe you felt that way Sunday night as we all started getting news that the, the, the first case of COVID-19, the first positive case of COVID-19 had been found in Grayson County. 
maybe this abstract thing that, that we're all dealing with, this abstract threat somewhere else that other people are having to deal with suddenly very real to you. Now that it's on our doorstep. If you started thinking about your friends and loved ones who are most vulnerable, what are we going to do? You ever have that? You ever felt the bottom fall out in your life? If so, you kind of know what the Apostle Paul is going through. We talked about uh, last week how Paul is not really um, in a dark dungeon somewhere um, in a Roman palace, um, but, but he is in prison under house arrest in Rome, unable to leave. And he's probably been there for about a year, maybe a year and a half, and he's waiting to hear his fate. Is he going to be executed for proclaiming the gospel? Or is he going to be set free? Can you imagine being in that state of suspended animation for a year? What's going to happen? What am I going to do? In our passage this morning, Paul uh, talks about this inner conflict he's going through. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. Paul's essentially saying, I, 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 I could live I could die. I don't even know which I prefer at this point. I've, I've been locked up for a year. What is going to happen to me? What am I going to do? When I first started preaching, I sought the advice of one of my mentors, um, someone who was, uh, was really great in the pulpit. And um, I said, uh, said, you know, you always tell these wonderful stories and you, uh, you get everyone's attention and you're so vulnerable. And, you know, basically, so, so what's the secret sauce? <laughs> you know, what, what, what can you tell me? And, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Danny, whenever I talk about me, I'm really talking about you. And I, what he meant by that is, you know, whenever uh, in a sermon I'm telling you about my life, the only reason I'm doing that is, is, is because I'm trying to tell you about your life. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to get anything off my chest, but I'm trying to help you see your life in light of the gospel. And I think this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in this letter. See, he's not, um, uh, he knows this isn't a personal letter uh, that he's writing to some friends that he needs to, uh, 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 this is in a correspondence with this accountability partner. Um, he knows that this letter to the Philippians is going to be read out loud to the church. 
And so when Paul is talking about this, this inner conflict he's going through, about being torn between life and death, um, this isn't some suicidal confession. Um, this is uh, Paul modeling for the Philippians how they're supposed to go through their own time of uncertainty. He, he gives it away uh, towards the end when he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going to go through the same struggle you saw I had and hear that I still have. See, Paul understands that the Philippians will be going through their own time of uncertainty and struggle. And so he wants to model for them uh, the best way to do that. And so that's why, uh, that's why he's giving the Philippians a, uh, a peek into his personal struggle. And so Paul, facing his uncertainty, turns to the gospel. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does he mean? He says, either way, I win. No matter what happens, I win. If I were to die, then I would be united with my Savior. Because as Christians, we have sure hope in the resurrection. If I die, I win. I gain more than I had in this life. But if I remain in this body, if, if I remain here imprisoned for your sake so that you can learn from me, then Christ will be glorified. See, see uh, uh, Paul is saying, whatever happens, Jesus is with me. Whatever happens, happens, Jesus is with me. If I live, Jesus is with me. If I die, I'm with Jesus. That's the good news, church. Whatever happens to us in the coming weeks, Jesus is with us. And Paul continues, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way. So what are we going to do? Going to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to live lives so filled with the presence of Jesus that it spills out in everything we do. Now for Paul, that meant not shutting up about Jesus. That meant that, that even, uh, even house arrest couldn't keep him down. He, he, he was going to witness to the palace guard. <laughs> to, to the people standing outside his doors, making sure he doesn't leave. He's going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It meant that he was going to sit down and write a letter. Martin Luther King Jr. said, The time is always right 
to do what is right. Whatever happens, you and I can live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I can do the right thing no matter what we face. Because we know that Jesus is with us, we can have that courage. The time is always right to do the right thing. You know, I always think about being those people in Germany in the 1940s when the Nazis came to power. Often people say, well, gosh, they didn't have a choice, you know. Uh, the, the Nazis came into town and they, they set up their camps and, 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 and you either did what they told you to or, or you got shot, you know, or you were killed. They really didn't have a choice. Well, that's a choice, isn't it? Do the right thing or die? That's not an enviable choice. You might resent having to make a choice like that. That's a, that's a choice that none of us would want to have, have thrust on us, but that is a choice. We always have a choice to do the right thing. We always have a choice to choose the thing that, that, that God is calling us to. Whatever happens, we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd like to tell you the story about a young monk named Telemachus. The year was 404. Uh, Telemachus had just turned 18 years old. Now, um, he was an orphan left out for exposure by his uh, parents as a baby. And he was rescued by some monks and lived his whole life behind monastery walls. And so, uh, when he turned 18, the other brothers decided that Telemachus ought to be able to leave the monastery and go and see the city, you know, so that uh, he could have a taste of what life was like outside the monastery and decide for himself if he wanted to, uh, wanted to continue living there and to take vows. And so Telemachus went to the big city as fate would have it, Telemachus picks a good day to be in Rome. See, there's a festival this day. Uh, the whole city is celebrating a recent victory against the Goths. And so uh, Telemachus uh, gets inside the city gates, and the markets are full of people. And uh, there's just all of this celebrating. And uh, Telemachus is just sort of... Uh, he's got wide eyes and he's just taking it all in and he sees a large crowd uh, going somewhere and so he begins to follow them and he follows the crowd into uh, the Roman Colosseum he's never seen anything like it just this, uh, this big huge structure and, uh, and, and there's this huge crowd of people and they're all excited and they're getting ready to have um, this uh, 
these gladiatorial games in honor of the emperor's victory. And so um, all of these gladiators and their shining armor with their shields and the swords and spears and their helmets, um, a hundred of them march out onto the battlefield and they um, look up towards the stands where the emperor is singing and they all give their salute. And then the games begin. As soon as the gladiators start fighting and, and blood is spraying and limbs are being hacked off and people are, are, are being stabbed, Ptolemachus realizes what's happening and he's horrified and he turns around and looks at the crowd and they're all yelling and screaming and hooting and, 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 and just enjoying the sight of, of this carnage. And so, so Telemachus calls out to the people, in the name of Jesus, stop! But no one's paying attention to him and, 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 and the crowd is, is too loud for anyone to hear him. And so he cries out louder, in the name of Jesus, stop! But, but the crowd continues. No one's paying him any mind. So not knowing what else to do, Ptolemachus it, it just jumps out into the middle of the battlefield and he calls out to the people, in the name of Jesus, stop! Well, the people at first, they think maybe he's, uh, he's part of the act, like, um, like, like some kind of a, a clown or something dressed up as a monk in, in, in that robe. And, and so they're laughing. But Telemachus, he calls out again, in the name of Jesus, stop! And then the crowd begins to boo him, uh, realizing who he is and what he's doing. They begin to boo him and, and, and tell him to, to get off the field. And then Telemachus cries out again, In the name of Jesus! Look, he doesn't get to say stop. Because a sword pierces the Telemachus' heart through the back and out the front. You can hear a pin drop. The whole crowd is silent, realizing what they've just witnessed. See, they recognized the robes. They knew he was a Christian monk, a man of God, an innocent person just slaying out there in the middle of the battlefield. The soldier that did it was shocked. He, he hadn't meant to. He drops his bloody sword to the ground. He kneels. Other soldiers around him do the same. They drop their swords to the ground and they kneel. And the emperor stands up. He turns around and he leaves. And one by one, each person in the crowd at the Colosseum that day gets up, turns around, and leaves. And that was the last time gladiatorial combat was held in the Roman Colosseum of the year 404. All because one man had the courage to stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, 
stop. Just Crystal and I were driving home from Washington, D.C. I tried my best to convince her to find a new job. Or at least not to go to court on Wednesday, but there's no talking sense into her. She had decided already those women needed her. They needed someone that was going to stand by their side whatever happens. Now little did we know at that very moment the hitman, the, the, the person who had taken the contract on Crystal's life was at a police station somewhere turning himself in. So he took the money but he couldn't go through with it. Our story had a happy ending. The Apostle Paul's didn't. He was martyred in Rome, beheaded just for proclaiming the gospel. But that's the point. None of us gets to know how our stories turn out. We have all this uncertainty swirling around us. And sometimes it seems like the only certain thing is uncertainty. But we get to know this. That Jesus is with us no matter what. That if we live, Jesus is with us. If we die, we're with Jesus. That truth, that certainty can give us the courage to do the right thing, no matter what. To do the thing that we are called to, no matter what. And the thing that we are called to is to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I am not what I made.